Hello and welcome back to the music and movie show for week two. Yay! Ooh, Yay. Hello guys. Anyway. <laughs> I was like confused for a second. Um, yeah, so how are we all? Yeah, I'm better now that we fixed this. So uh, you guys listening uh, on radio, uh, we really messed it up this time around. We couldn't figure out how to work this around. Issues. We didn't yeah, mess I it up. Wasted five minutes. Competent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we forgot to press one button, to be fair, yeah. Yes, we are total professionals. <sighs> um, that was stressful. <laughs> it was a bit stressful. Anyway, it's all good now, right? Yeah, yeah. it's all yeah, good. It's all okay. fixed now. I'm all surprised they let us back fair. inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, considering how we're doing this. <laughs> For sure. So I guess uh, we'll start off, we'll get straight into it. So uh, have you guys seen any movies or you guys been excited over anything over like the past week or so? You gotten up to much? Um, no yeah. assessments. Yeah, <laughs> way too many assignments. Uh, but there's one movie that I'm really excited about, uh, Uncut Gems. Uh, it's by the directors of uh, Good Time, and uh, initial reviews are amazing, and I can't wait for it to come out. Cool. But apart from that, there's nothing. I haven't watched anything all yeah. week. It's been terrible. Oh, I did start um, watching The Young Pope, like, two weeks ago, uh, directed by Sorrentino, I think. Oh, wow. Really, it's so, it's so, like, disturbing. I don't know, like, because it's, like, it's Jude Law. He's very good looking, but he plays a freaking Pope. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but no, I thought it was, like, really interesting about, um, you know, how uh, the Catholic sort of... I don't know if you could say industry, but the Catholic sort of industry, industry, industry. industry. yeah, um, how it like operates and how it can be so easily exploited, um, and how also it relies heavily on tourism and it's how it has to like balance, you know, being really really devoted to a religion but also still getting in that tourist bank. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting and um, yeah, mm. it was it was quite illuminating. and also it's so like the the cinematography and stuff is really beautiful and. Um, costumes and everything in the setting I really loved so yeah I haven't finished it yet but um yeah it's it's looking good um I read a great article in the age a couple of days ago about the new film the, the Joker is it just oh, Joker, yeah, it's, just is it, Joker? Uh, it's just Joker with yeah. Joaquin Phoenix okay. we yeah. thought it was pronounced Joaquin Joaquin <laughs> Joaquin sorry Joaquin there Joaquin. we go oh I just walk in Walking, just walking. I thought you were talking about Christopher Walken for a second. I was like, he's in that? Really? Um, but yeah, very excited for that film. It was interesting. The actor actually lost 23 kilo, 23 and a half kilos oh to play gosh. the role. Yeah, and he said that he really had to... He was obviously starving during the whole production Jeez. and he tried to channel that hunger, that anger into his character. It was oh, really... Wow. Huh. I've heard so many contradictory things about that movie. I've heard like it beats the hype, and then I've also heard like it adds nothing to Joker lore. And also, I've heard exactly. that. Exactly. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I've also heard it's that not it's related a to the whole PC thing. It's but yeah. Well. David Elridge. <laughs> David Elridge. Uh, yeah. It's supposed to be like an antecedent to the whole Joker series, like what happened before he became the Joker. Yeah, it's kind of like that. But I think uh, he made the movie kind of independent from the whole DC universe. Yeah. It's Wait, is it part of the DC universe? It is part of the DC universe per se because it's uh, Joker, obviously, but yeah. it's not related to the whole uh, okay. thing which is going on right now. It's not right, related right, right, to the right. whole overarching DC universe. Yep. Oh, and right. regarding what you said before about losing 23 kgs, um, I read an interesting quote. Uh, I don't remember who exactly it was who said it. Uh, it was uh, to Dustin Hoffman, who was, uh, playing in, uh, who was playing the main character in Marathon Man. And he apparently was uh, not sleeping for days in order to prepare for his role. And the guy, uh, I don't remember the guy's name. Uh, He was a very famous uh, theater actor. He was like, my dear boy, why don't you just act? (laughs) Yeah, why don't you just act? Yeah, Mm. method acting. Method acting. Yeah, Yeah. wow. Not even sure if that's what it is. All right. So, David, what are we going to do today? So, I guess today what we're mainly going to go over is we're going to be going over uh, thrillers. Movies that, I guess, evoke emotion through pejorative consequences things that um just haunt you things that follow you that you don't really know where they're coming from and stuff like that we'll be going over alfred hitchcock the master of suspense we'll be going through david fincher the other master of suspense and we just hope that uh we can teach you something new and uh maybe expose you to some different kinds of uh films so without with 
that done, let's move on to Hitchcock. So that brings us into Psycho, our first, our first sort of film. Um, I think one of the most interesting things about this film, I guess many of us will be able to relate to, is that its reputation definitely precedes it. Personally, I hadn't seen this for so long, yet I knew the film, I knew what it was about, I knew the classic shower scene, probably the most famous scene, arguably, in history, in cinema history. Um, I think another interesting thing about the film is that it was sort of shot on the crux of a personal crisis for Hitchcock. Um, he was obviously very invested in making the film, but Paramount didn't want to spend the money on it. Um, so Hitchcock said, fine, I'll do it with a TV crew. Um, he opted not to be paid his usual, I think usually he was paid about 250000 for his films, but he opted to take just one third of the profits. Oh, wow. So I ended up with a lot of money. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was shot entirely in black and white because that was obviously cheaper and it was made with an $800,000 budget. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting coming from that, how it turned out to be such a successful, successful film. Yeah, well, f like from what I've heard and from what I've read, specifically the Roger Ebert review of it, he said that basically he took his entire television crew from when he was creating his uh, TV show about suspense and he basically used them to create the film he didn't use any of his crew from stuff like north by northwest vertigo or rear window he wanted to make something exploit like an exploitation film, yeah. kind of film something cheaper something um i guess more dingy and it's quite ironic that like of all the films that he created this one had the greatest impact for just i guess making a film that really was to um quote alfred hitchcock himself um a film that belongs to the filmmakers just like all of us i guess and it was just insanely amazing to see also all of the ways that they cut it because by using the black and white they could use blood mm. but it wasn't actually blood it ended up being chocolate syrup and it's just the ways that he managed to almost cut corners and stuff like that that was insanely amazing to watch in the film yeah i guess it really opened the floodgates for screen violence on film i mean that murder was 45 seconds long that's a long time and so uh, the best part was uh I mean, it was a retaliation to uh, all those people who said that you can't show murder on screen, you can't show blood on screen. I mean, someone getting stabbed on screen, he made that, and it's even more violent, mm. in a way. Even and, the... Sorry. Uh, yeah, and the editing uh, needs a special mention, to be honest. Uh, the editing in this movie is amazing, um, and I think it's it should be taught in all film schools, and I think it's taught in all film schools, the way he edited it, along with Breathless... Uh, and uh, another main thing about this movie, uh, despite its low budget, uh, he still managed to cast uh, Anthony Perkins in it, who is amazing in it uh, in his role. And uh, it was something which you don't usually see in movies of that time, a role like that. And uh, uh, it's just iconic, the whole ending, the shower scene, everything that precedes the shower scene, which. Uh, it's just uh, amazing. It's just a uh, film at its best. Even the fact that the shower scene's only a third of the way through the film, you know, you get this main, or who you think is the main protagonist, Marion. He sets up her story, he sets up her motivations, but then she's killed a third of the way through the movie. Yeah. And that was just unheard of, you know? That was just absolutely crazy. And also one more thing, uh, he, uh, I mean, uh, before the shower scene happened, we had uh, things happening before it, which kind of predicted what was going to happen. Uh, for example, the window wiper thing, the way the shadows moved, everything. It was predicting that this was about to come. And, yeah. Yeah, I guess he sort of places her... He's sort of consistently presenting her in scenarios of danger before the actual scenario of danger. So you get that instance where obviously she f steals the money I think it's $40,000 then you get that paranoia of the police chasing her um, so it really builds that up as the threat of the film and then all of a sudden she's murdered in the shower 
Well, I mean, I haven't seen this movie, but like I've I've heard so much about. As you said before, its reputation uh, precedes it, and I've you know I know the iconic shower scene and the music that goes with it, the squeaking violins, and I think that's really like it's quite um, it's very trademark Hitchcock, I would say. Mm, yeah. Definitely, even the link between sex and violence. You know, the first scene we see Marion in a bedroom with a man with a, she's unmarried he's unmarried it's very sexually explicit and i feel like that was very groundbreaking for the times oh, groundbreaking is the ending of north by northwest i think uh the whole train entering into the tunnel scene uh which is supposed to mean something else and i think hitchcock always had that uh kind of kinky self yeah <laughs> <laughs> well now <laughs> and I think like the one of the most interesting things about the entire shower sequence is that um, initially Alfred Hitchcock envisioned it as completely silent so there wasn't going to be any music there wasn't going to be anything but then his um, the composer actually mentioned to him he showed him the backing track and then Hitchcock was like yeah I see exactly where you're coming from and completely flipped with respect to that also, one of the one of my favorite things about Psycho is, I guess, all of the references that you see nowadays in films yeah. to Psycho. For example, um, in Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, exactly when yeah. he um, walks across the uh, when he is driving the car and someone yeah. walks across the street and looks at him, yeah, and it's when exactly he's trying to flee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Wait, it's just, that's a reference to Psycho. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the movie. It, there's yeah. like <laughs> clear visual parallels and. I mean, it's had such a big impact that even the director of um, of My Own Private Idaho and of um, Goodwill Hunting uh, recreated it himself using uh, Vince Vaughn as uh, one of the actors. It's just amazing how it's uh, changed the world of cinema, despite being something that was meant to be almost, I guess, from how it was described, a throwaway film. Uh, so what do we think on... Um so Psycho is one of uh, his most iconic movies, but what do we think of Vertigo? Because I know that was recently, or recently-ish, voted like best movie uh, like, Wasn't ever. it BFA or something? Or Sight and Sound? I think it was Sight and Sound. Yeah, they Sight said it was the best movie ever. At the time, I didn't agree, because I, I think, was studying I the think, movie uh, for, for school, so I like hated the movie when I was studying it, but obviously... I've I think it topped the list for like 20, 30 years or something. Really? Yeah. Because it was, it dethroned Citizen Kane, I think. Did it? No. I think, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was uh, number one for quite a long time. I'm not sure about it. Oh, I think okay. it changed again, though. Mm. But Vertigo is an amazing movie again. Yeah, uh, no, I really loved it. The way uh, Hitchcock blocks shots, how he shows characters in certain uh, sets, how this even the sets play a character, and I think uh, that's uh, Hitchcock's biggest strength. He can bring in everything, and everything is involved in the movie. The sets, the characters, set design the costume the music it was one of the music first especially I, yeah. I really like because it's the the whole premise of the film is about a spiraling obsession and that's relate like it's expressed through his vertigo condition um his obsession with that that the female the female lead and i think that um and it's that like um motif is represented through the music through the opening credits through the poster and through yeah just so many like um like visual motifs even throughout the film i think it's really clever uh, talking about Vertigo, there's another Alfred Hitchcock, James Stewart combination that I really like, uh, Rear Window. Mm-hmm. I think that's my f- personal favorite Hitchcock movie. Surprise, I think yeah. uh, everything about the movie, you, I mean, it's defined by its opening sequence, I think. The opening sequence is one of the greatest in movies, in my opinion. It uh, literally tells us everything that we need to know about the character, his surroundings, uh, the behavior of the people in his surroundings what the movie is going to do and i think again genius hitchcock is yeah that's a great film even like the photographic vignetting in during that whole film really and that whole male gaze sort of idea it's very creepy once again mixing that like sexual pleasure Mm -hmm. with like the threat and the the thrill Mm. and another movie which has been referenced in recent times uh, under the silver Ra- uh, under the silver lake uh, starring Andrew uh, Garfield Andrew Garfield yeah it has a s- really strong reference to uh, the rear window scene another movie which uh, people should check out it's really good and I think like one of the I think that 
Rear Window itself, it really is a masterclass into editing because from what I've heard, um, the main actor, I forget his name at the moment. James Charles. James Charles. Um, Stuart. <laughs> Stuart? Oh, James Stuart. Well, you know, I guess that's a Freudian slip. But, um, yeah, James Stuart. Apparently he wasn't actually told anything about, like, what he was... He didn't actually know what the story was going to be. Essentially, Alfred Hitchcock just put him in different positions and made him just say lines and stand and so forth and then by the power of editing Hitchcock just cut it into an entire movie that made sense and turned out to be a classic yeah, yeah. Hitchcock uh, did things to his uh, actors at times I think uh, the the lead actress in Birds I don't remember her name right now oh she was like Chad claims about like oh I was terrorized on set and stuff like yeah, that she was like, terrorized by the birds yeah, yeah exactly yeah. he set the birds on her without any uh, kind of protection or anything Jeez. he used to do stuff like that uh, oh. similar to how uh, Stanley Kubrick did in uh, Shelley Duvall yeah that, that scene where she walks into is it the church where she hears the children singing and then she comes out yeah, and she looks at that play frame and then she turns around and then you see all the birds yeah. that is terrifying and how it just builds up and all of that that's Such actually like honestly I reckon Birds is like one of the films that I would like to see remade if any purely because like or not even remade just remastered so that the birds maybe don't look as campy as wasn't, they used to wasn't it remade in a really really bad film there was something oh if that's the case then I don't, uh, don't want to see it then like, uh, yeah I, I take I that back I think it's like the <laughs> or something I remember like the Oh, is it this one? It might be the birds to Land's End. Okay. Like, I remember watching, like, a YouTube video on it, and the birds looked really, really fake, and they didn't even look the slightest bit menacing. They just looked like seagulls coming after your chips. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it might have been this one, the birds to Land's End. Um, yeah, anyway. I felt like fact. also the end of the birds, um, there was actually an ode to it, in my opinion. I'm not sure if it actually is a genuine um, reference, but at the end of Us, the uh, most recent um, Jordan Peele film, when he has, um, ev- like, basically all of the... All the people all holding the hands. People holding hands. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> uh, too late for that. Yeah. But um, all the people holding hands, it's similar to the ending of Birds, where there's just birds everywhere. And it's almost that menacing thing that I think is becoming a lot more prevalent in horror movies nowadays, where it's more, it's less about, oh, we've got to defeat it, and it's more just an acceptance of it. And you see things, like... A similar theme going all the way through like Ari Aster's films, especially with um, things like Midsummer and um, Hereditary, where both of them just end on a refreshing note. I don't want to talk about Ari it anymore. Asher, I think, uh, it's uh, the guy who directed The Witch. Uh, Robert Eggers as yeah, well. Robert Eggers, yeah. Again, another refresh. And another refreshing take on the horror. And moving on from yeah. one master of suspense to yeah. another. Let's move on, shall we, to uh, David Fincher, one of the masters of modern suspense, I guess you could say. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? What have we done to each other? What will we do? (laughs) These are my favourite words (laughs) from Gone Girl. Um, The film's bookended with these words. You see Rosamine Pike, who plays Amy's head, lying down... Um, The hand on her head when she turns around, her, like, hollow sort of eyes looking into the camera. Very, very spooky. Um, So this film, directed by, of course, David Fincher, um, is a 2014 psychological thriller. Um, It's based on a book. It was 2012, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, by Gillian Gillian Flynn. Flynn. Gillian Flynn, yes, that's right. Um, But, yeah, it's... (laughs) Well, where to start? (laughs) Um, it's really about a relationship, obviously, um, turning bittersweet and spiralling through this sort of atmosphere of lost privilege, frustration, infidelity. Um, yeah, one of my favourite films, <laughs> definitely. Um, I think a big thing to say about this film is how postmodern it is. Um, it's interesting because the heroes and the villains of the film are more so the stories and the characters. It's all about who's telling the truth. And like who's versions of the truth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Who's really in the wrong here. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so we're presented with the story of Nick and Amy. It's this idyllic marriage with, you know, narcissistic intelligence, wit. They're very 
intelligent they kind of characters. like that not like other couples sort of stereotype like you know how girls are always like oh we're not i'm not like other girls this is the couple version of it they're like oh you know my wife doesn't throttle me about being staying too late at the bar and also my husband loves me and blah 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 i'm not under his thumb it's it's stuff like that they they fake their way into a seemingly perfect equal relationship but that all comes undone uh when when things happen <laughs> he has an affair yeah. <laughs> um yeah i guess when what really happens in the film is the m in marriage ceases to exist as matrimony and sort of turns to manip- manipulation um i found it really interesting watching the film because in the first I think the first very first scene you saw Nick you see Nick walk into his sister or he and his sister's bar and he hands her a mastermind board game board game and I felt like that was a bit of a motif yeah, the whole film yeah, yeah it's definitely a sort of mastermind I think she puts it with other games such as like the game of life and clue so I think it's like Finch is saying something about um uh about how he, I, cause there was a bit where he was playing, I think, the game of life incorrectly, and that was like, you know, a pretty. It's not that on the nose, but when you think about it, it's kind of on the nose, like an on the nose yeah. metaphor about how he doesn't know how to play the game of life, um, which is clearly how how Amy sees it. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really, really clever, mm. really subtle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I reckon what I love the most about this film, and with regards to the rest of um, David Finch's uh, oeuvre, I guess you could call it. Um, is that he takes a step in the direction that I guess a lot of well-known directors and a lot of well-known films take in the way that he kind of like breaks down the facade of the typical family so they seem to be the um, perfect couple and afterwards after everything goes down that's essentially what they play out and it's a theme that people such as um, such as David Lynch with Blue Velvet, people such as Sam Mendes with American Beauty have gone into and it's it's a very interesting take on that whole entire genre and showing how in reality things are a lot more volatile than they may seem and I feel like Rosamund Pike despite being she almost I was um when I was watching it with my dad we I actually was like she seems like an alien just in the way she moves mm. which is kind of ironic given like the pl- the person that she plays because I feel like at the same time it's so unhuman but also so human in how she takes things and how she handles things especially how she interacts with um other women and so forth like she never really she more alienates herself in order to accept who she is but i was just interested in that whole aspect of what um fincher did especially with just again his whole entire dulled um color tone choice was a complete contrast to um, previous iterations in the whole breaking down of the facades of um, mm, yeah. modern families, I guess you could say. Even I found her parents really interesting in the way they sort of commodified her life. Mm. You know, they turned it into this amazing publication Annie. success, Amazing Amy. Oh. And that sort of interplay between, you know, that expectation versus the reality and her trying to become something that she's not within her own relationship, but at the same time trying to escape those expectations. Really interesting. That's an interesting point, uh, and I think it plays to a larger theme of the movie, uh, which is the truth is not what matters. The truth doesn't matter anymore. What matters is what people perceive of the truth, the media representation, how the media perceives the truth, and it's also about this whole YouTube culture of people getting cancelled. Uh, there's no innocent until proven guilty. Mm. Uh, I yeah, mean, so it's there's like more grey areas than yeah, just that. I mean, uh, yeah. it used to be innocent until proven guilty, but now it's the other way around. It's guilty until proven innocent. And Especially I, with like the, I hope there's a term for it, but it's like with the media um, and their role in like unraveling what happens <laughs> in the, what? I guess you could call it fake news almost uh, in some cases. Yeah, I suppose. Or an iteration I think it's not it. really fake news. It's just about exploiting the. It's about getting the more clickbaity articles out there. It's kind of like the media there. is yeah. the jury in a way. Mm. Like uh, you know, throughout That's most of the movie, um, he thought like they thought that he did it. Um, you know that scene when he's smiling in front of her poster. I was just like, you. The missing idiot. person's poster. Yeah. <laughs> you idiot. And they take that and they put in every single. Yeah, and granted, they did like. They, they didn't retain the context of that scene. But exactly. also, like, 
Thunder, that character, those idiotic movements. Again, yeah, it's all about the uh, clickbait culture. It's about getting the news which is the most sensational out there. It's no longer about presenting the truth as it is. It's just about getting people to believe in some version. It's like which, about getting yeah. clicks first. Yeah, getting and clicks first. The, the whatever, is whatever is more dramatic or more mm. sensational, it it fe- it fetches views. And I think uh, another movie which does this very well is. one of my favorite thrillers of all time nightcrawler starring jake gyllenhaal and uh, i think what it does is the same thing it's uh, it's not about putting the news uh, out there it's about uh, taking the most sensational version of the uh, news it's about getting there first no matter uh, what the situation is not caring about how people are going to get affected by how you present this uh, kind of news Yeah, I also really enjoyed the music of Gone Girl. When I was watching it, I was sort of trying to pinpoint what what he was trying to emulate, and I did some reading on it. And apparently, um David Fincher had been to this day spa one day, and he'd heard this really weird sort of creepy music. It was supposed to be relaxing, but he found it really creepy and he thought to himself, I need to use this in a movie. So, next time you're watching the film, have a listen. It does sound like a creepy day spa, and I feel like it really emulates that sort of atmosphere of it's it's perfect it's on the outside exactly it's perfect on the really outside is on the inside but like your you therapist is going to kill you yeah <laughs> cuz like i love how that they have like the the main melody is kind of like in a major key this is kind of getting music theoryish um but it's like in a major key but underneath you can just hear like this kind of not jaws jaws but like kind of jaws like i don't know minor sort of um like surging motif underneath and it just gives you this feeling of like Oh, something's going to happen. Like this is this is so this is actually so messed up even though on the like the overlying melody is really it seems happy. It seems to portray like a perfect life, a perfect marriage. And I think it's like a good um yeah, representation of what the film is. Mm-hmm. In terms of um criticism on the film, I have a few points. Um I think some of the casting was a bit questionable. Personally, Patrick casting Harris. Neil Patrick Harris, um yes. All I could think Barney. of was Goofy yeah. Barney, How I Met Your Mother the no. whole time. Legend. I also Wait have sorry. Oh, his quote from isn't it like Legend Way for Derek? Yes. Yeah, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I could I, not I, get away from that. Yeah. <laughs> My other thing was casting Emily Ratajkowski. Um Oh, I thought that fit. Do you reckon? Yeah, I feel like, like she's like a young high schooler girl, really immature and like kind of like the typical like yes, you would cheat on your wife for this person. You young, would bouncy. I think like she needed anonymity though. Like she just when was that film made? 2014. She just yeah. risen to fame in um Blurred Lines. Lines, Robin Thicke's very controversial music video. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like she needed to be the an- anonymous doe-eyed school girl. Oh, okay. I felt like putting her in there was almost like a bit of a product placement. There was oh, a okay. lot of product placements in that film. They had Mountain Dew, they had Volvo, and they had Emily Ratajkowski. Just saying. Oh, just kind of weird. For what? Just kind of weird. The whole product placement thing, considering it's in a Fincher movie. Uh I think uh, Fight Club. Uh oh. that's a movie uh which critiques the whole capitalism yeah. and product or uh, whatever. Cuz like product placement is like a part of that. Yeah, movie. but at the it's same time, the but at the same time I think I'm not sure how true this fact uh, trivia is. Uh there's a Starbucks in every shot. In every shot. Yeah. yeah. I feel like actually in contrast to what you were saying about Neil Patrick Harris's casting I'd say that actually it was probably the best casting they could have gone for especially considering how well I feel it contrasted what um they made Neil Patrick Harris's character as in um how I met your mother because when you think about it in reality you can kind of see his character if he were to if he's lost everything or if he has become so popular to go back to someone and also almost have this antagonizing role in the way that he kind of like almost manipulates people and again it comes back to that whole entire I guess me too movement if I guess you could say in the way that like he um Fincher almost recontextualizes his social character and he once you remove all of the humor and you remove the um laughs and so forth a lot of the um the stuff that um Neil pa- Patrick Harris's character does in How I Met Your Mother does kind of mimic um It's really like it's not in favor of women. Like he objectifies yeah. them and uses them and stuff like that. And that's almost like what his character does, does in this. He um 
he objectifies and um, Resmond Pike and, and, yeah, and tries to push her to do what he wants, despite her not wanting to do that, which yeah. in a way almost makes this casting choice great because he's dissecting a character that so many people love and showing the dark side that can arise from certain things like that. Almost a critique of the um, How I Met Your Mother genre not genre like, oh, like TV show sort of yeah. Yeah, that's oh, a fair call yeah. Yeah. while I agree with you I still don't think his acting was that great compared to some of the other performances in the movie but I think that's the point that was put across in the script he was meant to be dulled he's not meant to have almost no. a soul I guess you could say he's not meant to be a person that you actually would go back to and that's why she went back to him because I don't he think is anyone in the movie yeah. anyone in the movie is worth going back to oh well i mean <laughs> ben affleck come on no you, but the, even then like he was a pretty bad person oh, he was yeah. yeah yeah um but like talking of really good casting that i think Rosamund pike and ben affleck were perfectly cast like the chemistry ben affleck was amazing so. chemistry but also like the type of characters that ben affleck plays mm. um like he always plays kind of like the flawed hero and yeah. um I thought that he was really good for this, especially that smile part at the yeah, first conference. Yeah, with the chin. And then the chin as well. I don't know. I feel like he played that really, like, in a way that was really believable. Um, but also, Rosamund Pike, wow, amazing acting chops. Um, I don't know if she got recognized for this No, role, I don't think so. But I, um, I thought she was amazing. And the strange thing is, I don't see her acting in any other movie. What? Which is a bit no, she's played in quite a couple. Yeah, I, but I, saw I mean, in, uh, in the same way, in the same way as in uh, oh, in the same vein of that, yeah. like, oh, like serious, which allows her yeah. to uh, showcase her acting chops. Because yeah. she's such a chameleon. Like I read somewhere that uh, Fincher cast her because she can look young but also old. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's quite true. It's true. Um, and also to your point, to David's point before about her being like an alien, I think um, she's more like a chameleon. She fits in where she wants to fit in, and she's very highly adaptable but um i think that when she fitted into her marriage as this type of woman she expected nick to do the same and when he started um you know uh st- like stop doing that she she was able she still had enough agency to actually take action and put him back in his place pretty much which is what happens at the end of the movie mm. which is impressive but absolutely terrifying like that's just so scary how diabolical she is even her voice i found like in that monologue where the she's cool not necessarily in the shot yet yeah, in Gone Girl yeah, yeah. Um, no, when cool she goes girl yeah the cool yeah. girl monologue yeah. um, her voice is just amazing when it's she like goes through the whole process calm, but also like you can feel the vent like that, that so much hate and vengeance in her voice like she resents being like being thrust into that um, position of being the cool girl and whatever because the cool girl is abused pretty much yeah no, I thought it was really good I still feel like um, Fincher does have better thrillers seven for example great great thriller seven great performances great ending don't want to spoil it but if you haven't watched it definitely do he's also got the game as well fight club which i wouldn't necessarily call a thriller i think fight club and uh gone girl goes well hand in hand um it both talks about the toxic masculinity or and femininity and uh, how it affects relationships between people and how it forces us to uh, I don't know uh, re-examine our own relationships uh, because people are too selfish yes that's very true um, but yeah, no, Fight Club is quite interesting because it also, while in Gone Girl it's more, it's less duality and more just like general like chameleon-like stuff, but in Fight Club there's that duality of, you know, Tyler Durden and the narrator, um, and also the effect that it has on like his other relationships, like Marla and also his relationship to society, and in Fight Club it's very much like toxic, toxic masculinity, they blame women for everything. Um, and so yeah they try and they try and like resolve that by making this Fight Club obviously but um, obviously we see that it doesn't quite yeah. work and I think Fight Club uh, the strangest part about the movie is that uh, it was meant to uh, mock 
this toxic like masculinity satire. yeah, yeah it was supposed then, to be a satire and all these uh, people come up all these dude bros come yeah. up and they're like oh yeah have you seen fight oh, yeah, club have you seen bro? fight club it's so cool I it's so make cool a fight club. they haven't they haven't got the message on yeah, that yeah and uh, that's the worst part uh, because he's critiquing it and they are accepting the critique as some sort of a message which yeah, is uh, yeah. which again uh, goes back to the joker review which you were talking about mm-hmm. I think uh, it's I think the same thing is probably going to happen with joker it kind of happened with dark knight because people started relating to the joker to the for joker no reason because like, joker yes. is not a good person he's he is a psychopath mm. he's not he's a madman who is a he feels like he's entitled to something from the yeah, world exactly yeah. and it's it's not a good message and people start uh, following him and people uh, talk about him as if he's some kind of a hero and a hero he's not yeah, he, he no doesn't way. want anything good for the society he's just a psychopath he who just wants to watch the world burn people just want to be good. edgy on a very shallow level <laughs> but i feel like that's the thing that like chuck pelian the um author of fight club did so well and i think that's what his plan was it was to um dissect what was occurring and a lot of his books really do go into toxic toxic masculinity and tear it apart there's a lot of stuff especially with the whole um loss of um, testicles and so forth and just pe- there's so many references to where people are like oh I have cancer of the testicles or um, if you do something wrong we'll cut off your balls his entire um, I guess m- not I wouldn't necessarily say message but like his modus operandi is almost to like destroy um, what he hated most and it's again it's ironic because then if you look at how the book did the book is forbidden in prisons itself yeah. because it causes riots and so forth and it actually does make the prisoners more violent so i feel like that entire um breaking down of the social stereotypes is rather prominent within not only palinuk's work but also um in finch's work if you look at things such as um again uh, the game where he breaks down um literally breaks down a game um a game and breaks down the man who is um Michael Douglas's character into someone who just really wants to escape and someone who isn't on top of the games and we see how if you aren't on top if you don't have the power to do so some people who despite being so powerful now can just as easily become everyone else and maybe even something worse because they can't handle the loss of what they once had i just find that so interesting and it It's just something that goes through like all of his movies and again um 7 oh, Seven is a brilliant movie. I think oh, great. Uh, it it came out right after Usual Suspects, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think it With really really defined yeah. Kevin Spacey was on a favorite. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Uh but yeah, uh, Kevin Spacey had uh which one was it? Uh Usual Suspects. Usual Sp- he had Suspect. American Beauty. And then he had seven. American Beauty is the best of He dissected yeah. that part so well. So beautifully. Yeah. American Beauty. Again, another movie about toxic masculinity yeah. and about relationships. And the suburb and uh, the yeah. happy suburban life. Would you call it a thriller, though? Which? American Beauty? No. American Beauty. No, I think it's more of a drama, a breakdown of character, I yeah. think. Yeah. Apparently, the ending was going to be so much different. But again, not going to spoil anything. So I guess... With that being said, we'll move on to some of our favorite thrillers that aren't done by um, Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock or um, David Fincher. So, Jasmine, what's your favorite thriller movie? Um, not I. I can't decide on a favorite, but one of the ones that are uh, that is up there is Fargo. Not really like you don't really think of it as a thriller. Um, and honestly, when I first um, saw it, I was like, "This is very funny." Um, but I think it's a great subversion of the genre, like the crime thriller sort of genre, because it's set in like it's not slick like a lot of Fincher films are. Um, but and it's it's got genuinely like funny comedic moments um, from like just the incompetence of William H Macy's character and him just trying to get away with what he's done. I think it's hilarious. um but it's also quite shady like when you when you look past the like the humor you're actually you think about what he's done and you're like damn that's actually really like you know effed up um but i think the whole setting in um Fargo uh and the whole Minnesota nice accent it's a quaintness that contrasts um against the shady stuff that goes down and also the cold snowy setting um it's quite different from slick city thrillers 
Um, and also, of course, Frances McDormand's character as the pregnant cop. I think she's so cool. She's so amazing. And, yeah, it just goes to show that, like, you know, you don't, like, cops aren't, they're not deadbeat cops all the time, but you don't need, like, world-class detectives to solve these sorts of crimes. I think it's quite a good subversion of the of the genre. And I feel like that's what um, the Coen brothers really do with, like, all of their um, films, especially if you start off with Blood Simple. They always have that, um, I guess, very um, destructive mode of telling the story in what they show with things like, um, again, Blood Simple, where there is a husband who's trying to get someone else killed and so forth, but they also unveil the humanity in people in how stupid some of their decisions are. Yeah. yeah. And talking about, I guess, stupid decisions and comedy with regards to um, with regards to death and so forth, I'd say that my favourite thriller would have to be um, In Bruges, and yes. it's just such an amazing film. If you ever wanted to see, I, it, in my opinion, the apex of so many um, actors' careers, such as Colin Farrell, um, oh, what's it, um, Gleason, yeah, or um, Ralph Fiennes as well. It's just an amazing film, and it it's so hard to describe because it's just such a gorgeous film set in a gorgeous town, but it really does um, wrap itself around some of the more interesting aspects of life in a way of a holiday mm-hmm. that turns into something so destructive and so death-reliant um, in the way that they are two hitmen just trying to escape what they have done. But it just goes into that and it goes into religion and it just use, utilises everything so well and I think that's something that Martin McDonough, um, the director and writer, does so well. Um, he also did it in his, um, in his film uh, Three Billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And it's just um, something that I feel like is so... I feel like comedy itself works so well in the thriller genre because I feel like if you take it too seriously, then it can get far too dark. And I feel like that's something that a lot of thrillers go down and it's a path that they go down that's far too um an example of that is kind of like go with the dragon tattoo like that movie is really it's not that i feel like it's not that rewatchable because it's so serious um but if you use comedy to sort of balance that it can be really effective yeah it kind of like just um eases out everything and makes it a lot more easy to digest especially Mm -hmm. when the contrast between like the how i guess um destructive their jobs are in the fact that they're hitman hitmen and then you see um, them making fun of a dwarf or like a little person. I don't know what the correct term is. I'm sorry <laughs> if I insulted anyone. Um, and how there's just that per- um, the dwarf, and he's just um, snorting ketamine and stuff like that. And it's just the way in which they mix everything to almost make um, a sort of Dante um, into um, Inferno esque, um, Dante's Inferno esque kind of. Um, story as it just goes further and further into purgatory and he makes that reference at the end and it's it just works so well because then you reflect on the rest of the plot and the rest of the story and you're like oh yeah it actually that's exactly what it was and it's just these comedic aspects that make you want to rewatch it and makes it so rewatchable as um you mentioned before jasmine with um girl with the dragon tattoo and all right yeah um so both of you guys were talking about movies thrillers which had a comedic element to it and talking about Fargo I think the TV show Fargo is amazing mm, as yes. well and people should definitely give it a watch yes, uh, so uh, it's not really one I'm talking about uh, entirely new uh, thing which is a Korean movie industry and how they make thrillers I think uh, there are a lot of gems which people haven't watched um, one of them being Memories of Murder directed by Bong Joon-ho is uh, the same guy who directed The Parasite. Parasite. Yes, another good movie. Memories of Murder, the best part about it is uh, the way uh, he incorporates almost uh, genuine comedy into very serious situations. Uh, it's about two cops trying to solve a series of murders and uh, it's brilliantly made. Uh, and I think it's even better than Parasite. While pa- yeah, while uh, okay, I think it's on different levels. Uh, Parasite it dealt more on a metaphorical basis. It's all yeah, about no, metaphors. I yeah. But I feel like yeah. the ending really made Parasite. If they didn't have the ending, then I w- honestly, and I hate to say it, but I got incredibly bored in the middle of Parasite. Ouch. The, if Ouch. the ending wouldn't have, if the ending wouldn't have come, I wouldn't have enjoyed the film as much as I yeah, did. It reminded enough. me of films such as Burnt by the Sun and those that, honestly, if you watch them. 
until and you remove the ending, then they would just be. They're not that great. Yeah. They delve on something, beautifully shot, beautifully edited, great dialogue. But if you don't have the ending, if you don't have that kicker, then it just wouldn't be the film that it is. Because I feel like that sudden ending again. Don't want to spoil it, but the ending just creates the film and. If it just dealt on the whole, oh, okay, so, oh, we need money, our family is out of money, we need to go do something I else. Think, I think so it's more of a cultural a thing. I, yeah. <laughs> I think it's more of a cultural thing. Uh, I mean, probably some of the themes would escape people who are not used to the same kind of culture. Maybe the same. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it really, it really depends. Because it, it's it from the It probably relates more industry. to people who are from the uh, same place or yeah. who are coming from the same kind yeah. of... Uh, I don't know cultural background maybe. Yeah. Also uh talking about films which end on a yeah. kicker, uh I'd like to talk about Handmaiden and Old Boy as well, uh directed by Park Chan-wook, another um Korean uh, movie uh which is brilliantly made. Just go watch Handmaiden Old Boy, the Korean version. Do not please do not watch the English version of Old Boy because it's horrible. It's one of the worst movies I ever watched. Spike just butchered that yeah, film. I don't like Spike Lee, man. I can't stand him. He takes a position of power that he does not have. Yes. I mean, the interviews for Old Boy, uh, when he directed it, uh, he was like, he didn't care for the movie. He made it just so he could make it. And it really hurt me because the original is such a masterpiece. It features some great acting, some of the greatest uh, storytelling ever. One of the best endings. Like, Mm. oh, for sure. God, the ending. Yeah. Oh, that ending just hits hard. Like it hits really hard. And yeah. Yeah, you should watch it. I think uh, it just gets better and better. The everything about the movie. So yeah, guys, check out Korean movies. Korea has got tons of great thrillers. And I think the one great thing about Korea is their food, and within their food, they do have quite <laughs> a lot of seafood. Seafood reminds me of fishes. It reminds me of different things. It reminds me of sharks and. Wouldn't you know? <laughs> what Lucy. a segue! I was wondering where that was wow. going. To go. What was that uh, thriller you like? Well, guys, we're going to need a bigger Can boat. You guess? Oh. <laughs> oh, we don't have enough time. Oh, we've got a few minutes. Yeah, we got a time. So Jaws. Um, yeah. I just wanted to briefly touch on Jaws. Um, not so much in the film, but just in terms of its strategy. Its marketing strategy was very, very, very interesting. Um, it had a bit of a troubled production. Um, it went over budget, it went past schedule, um, but it had a very exceptionally, exceptionally wide release on, I think it was 450 screens. It was probably the first real front-loaded film that um, we'd ever received. Um, so a huge marketing campaign. Um, I didn't actually see it until, I reckon I would have been about 16 years old. I was just too scared to watch it before then. And I feel like that's saying something about the film I mean you look at it now and you look at the shark and you're like oh wow it looks so fake (laughs) so fake wasn't it like Spielberg's first movie or something like first big movie Uh, I think it was his first big one I don't think it was his first one no first big movie it created the whole entire blockbuster so hype the summer blockbuster the summer blockbuster the blockbuster itself was created by the James Bond franchise I just like to put that out there everyone thinks it was Jaws it wasn't but it was the summer (laughs) Summer blockbuster blockbuster, yes that's what did it but yeah it sort of reminds me of like an eco trauma film I mean I know it's not the natural forces of nature it's a massive shark well I guess but you know it's not like something that we've created like an environmental yeah, like you know the yeah. day after tomorrow those sort yeah. of films um, but I guess like the threat just gets bigger and bigger and bigger throughout the film um, and that end sequence with the what, what does it in the end they, they the fishing reel no the um they set off. Did they go through the shower? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They set off that. Fire extinguisher. Yeah, no. No, it's not no, a fire extinguisher. Doesn't he have it in oh, between like his gas jaws and then he just like shoots it? He okay, has guys, something. Spoilers, like come on. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> shark dies. Oh. Okay, the best shark dying sequence ever is Sharknado. If you haven't watched oh, it, geez. it's oh, no. horrible. Oh, you're one of the. You're one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he goes through the entire shark with a chainsaw or something. He jumps in the air. He like goes through the shark using a chainsaw. He cuts That's through some it. That's garbage. <laughs> no. Yeah, it is garbage. <laughs> I think. Uh, 
the best part about uh, Jaws probably it's pretty campy but campy in a good way mm. and I think it really opened the way for Definitely. a lot of new directors who rely on such campiness to make good movies yeah. especially um, one of my favorite shots that I just would be kicking myself if I didn't bring up is a shot where um, they're focusing on I think his name's Hopper or Hooper's um, character and you just see how the camera moves forward but like it's so interestingly shot because it gets closer to his face but as it gets closer to his face somehow everything behind him I'm not sure quite sure how they shot it everything behind him kind of like just f- gets closer to him isn't it's that a Hitchcock isn't it effect? the dolly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's the a dolly, dolly thing thing. yeah, yeah. Dolly. yeah, yeah. Dolly. it's just you know, it's, it's, so it's really insanely good. well done and I've seen yeah. it done in so many other films but I feel like he just pulled it off so well some other films that do it well are Lahain by um, Kasovitz I can't remember his second name and it's just an amazing effect and but the way that um, Spielberg used it was just so insanely beautiful I just had to put it out there not that it has anything to do with anything <laughs> <laughs> no I think it creates a good job of like creating the suspense it's like the culmination of the suspense like suspense it's like um yeah, it's like his world is crumbling apart around him as he realizes that he couldn't stop um, the shark from actually killing people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one thing which I'd like to add before we go on to the next song, uh, next bit is uh, the movie which we decided on first. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, mm-hmm. another great uh, thriller. I guess if we were to put a quickie out there, it would probably. I don't know how to describe it really. Okay, so Anthony Hopkins, great. Um, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, great. Everybody, great. However, does have its flaws in the way Indeed, that... yeah, it does. It feels a bit old. Yeah. I don't know. I definitely get behind that. And also the fact that, for some reason, they th- seem to put that Jodie Foster's character is far too smart. Like, for some reason, I feel like there's, um, there's no connection between how she gets to... Um, Buffalo Bill's place and where like that basically cuts off between like the FBI and so forth and I'm pretty sure that's because they cut out a scene but I felt like in terms of the flow of the movie it kind of like shut itself down not sure about that but like in terms of pacing and so forth that's probably my only gripe with the film but it's an amazing film an amazing thriller and if you ever want to see something that does really take the thriller genre in its own direction and create something amazing with it definitely check it out especially because like Jonathan Demme beautiful director beautiful man <laughs> okay so to wrap up what are some movies that we're looking forward to ah yeah uh, ah, you go you. First. Ah. well recently I've watched um, Last Black Man of San Francisco in San Francisco beautiful 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 film if I'd have to give a suggestion for a film coming out I honestly there's just so many uncut it's hard gems. to choose uncut, uncut gems. gems for sure Uncut Gems for sure, and yeah, how about you guys? Oh, I really want to see The Farewell. Oh. It looks really interesting. I still haven't watched Midsommar. Yeah. It's been doing well. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, but yeah, apart from that, not much else. Yeah, alright guys, uh, we'll see you uh, next week with uh, more same movies. Same time, same place. Uh, yeah, same time. <laughs> <laughs> alright, bye-bye. See ya. Bye. See ya. Thanks, guys.